All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're in the Delaware Valley. Welcome to Legal Talk with Jeff Nirenberg here on WWDB Talk 860. Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing well, Joe. Thanks for uh, coming back, and I'm excited to do the show with you again. Absolutely. Uh, we've we've uh, had some fantastic shows. This is going to be an outstanding show. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest, uh, an, an acclaimed attorney in the city of Philadelphia, and we're going to be talk. We're going to be talking about uh, some interesting cases and and, and a lot of things that uh, this particular individual who was um, had very successful criminal attorney in the city of Philadelphia um, has accomplished. I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Michael Diamondstein. How are you, sir? Good afternoon. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you, Michael. Uh, certainly, if you will. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the practice. Okay. Uh, I'm a former Philadelphia prosecutor. Uh, I was a DA under Lynn Abraham. I left the DA's office and worked for a local criminal attorney. Uh, In 2004, I left that attorney, opened my own practice. I've got a couple lawyers working for me, and we handle criminal cases throughout uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and uh, I've been in federal courts uh, across the United States. And having said that... um, uh, you know, having started out in the DA's office, um, that was uh, obviously the the uh, catalyst for going into criminal law. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I thought in college I had thought that maybe I was going to be an actor, but uh, I I didn't I didn't know if I'd be successful as an actor, and I really didn't like waiting tables and bartending, so uh, <laughs> I uh, I decided to be a hey, lawyer. Let me say, it's interesting you say that because I was a musician. It took me years to get a, a record deal, but a long time. Okay, and when you go into an artistic endeavor, they say, and I, I had another musician. His name is Ken Queter in the city of Philadelphia. And he said, "I only want the only thing I want to to, to fall back on is a sharp knife." That's you know, and so this way you got to. Well, all lawyers it, aren't all lawyers just dying actors. They all just want to be in entertainment in some other way, and they, and they fall back into the law. But it's funny that. Opinion. But when when you're studying to be a lawyer and you're doing, you're going to be a lawyer. You're 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 out there gigging and 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 you know obviously going for auditions no matter what. There's no guarantee in anything, and and it's okay. But the fact of the matter is, they don't they don't usually you know you never hear like Springsteen talk about well I was going I went was going to school for accounting and all but but all the Springsteens that didn't quite make it you know lawyers they're, well no accountants they, no they're likely not a lawyer or accountant because it's hard to go back to school when you're 45 man right. but. I, you made the right choice. Obviously, you're successful, and uh, it, I, you know it was a close call, though, because when I left college, uh, I decided I'm going to take a year off, and uh, I was I was working down at uh, uh, as a waiter uh, at a at a club here in Philadelphia, and I decided, uh, you know, the heck with it. I'm not staying here. I loaded up my car, I drove wow. to Aspen, Colorado, wow. and I skied in Aspen for a year. And uh, if I didn't fall off the side of a mountain, I'd probably still be in Aspen skiing. Holy cow! Wow. Yeah. I, it, I'll tell you what. Uh, Everybody's got a story. Yeah, man. And and I can tell you, uh, you know, so I was a union where I was an iron worker. So I worked on high rise buildings and I was going, I was recording all night and going to, I mean, you know, these we're, we're, we're sitting in the, in, in the um, scenic uh, offices uh, uh, of Nuremberg also. So let me say this. I, I know this, the, the skyline from the outside from from outside the window and it, it, it's much more comfortable in here so when you're when you have the artistic bug it's what you do it's what you are um having said that uh you mentioned that the, the da's office and as a successful criminal attorney uh, and we've heard this i've heard it many times from uh 
you know, a work comp or personal injury, they started off on a defense side. They learned, you know, the ropes and, you know, and, and it benefits their clients, uh, you know, right now because because you've been there. Jeff. Uh, I, I tried, actually. That was my goal. What Michael did is something that I wanted to do. Um, I grew up with my best friend was David Eisman, and his father was Denny Eisman, a very, very prominent criminal attorney at the time who died and passed away when I was in law school. My path was to become a criminal attorney like Michael, but it didn't, and, and personal injury was sort of a fallback for me, but so many of my friends and so many of my successful personal injury lawyers came from the DA's office. Uh, well, listen, it's I, an incredible right. reading ground and training ground, and you know Michael can speak more about it, but some amazing, amazing attorneys, both civil and criminal, started the DA's I, office. I've heard the same thing. Talk, uh, talk about that experience, that how it benefits you today. So I, I knew, uh, you know, in, in college, and I, when I made the decision that I was going to be a lawyer, I, I knew that I wanted to be uh, a criminal defense attorney, and I can't really tell you why. Maybe it's the theater. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just the, the nature of, uh, of, of going against and attacking forces that are stronger than you and always being the underdog. So I, I knew I wanted to be a DA. Um, now, I don't know if you're going to ask me about it, but the DA's office back in the early 90s when I was involved in it is different than it is now. So um, Lynn Abraham had, a, had an excellent office with a great uh, uh, you know, training program for young uh, prosecutors. So when you, when you had a job in the DA's office back then, the office was filled with excellent trial lawyers. So you were inundated with cases. And uh, uh, fr- from, from the very beginning, you learned how to build a case. You, you, you saw how uh, uh, police officers worked, how investigators worked. You, you, you got to deal with witnesses. And, and frankly, you know, I see, I see defenses in my head. And I think about um, sort of different layers and different tactics of how to defend a case. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was able to see on the other end how you build a case. Yeah, it's interesting, too, having all that experience. Yes, the DA's office is 100% different um, and uh, today than it, than it was then. I knew when. And, and uh, also, you know, we, we did a fundraiser for her uh, actually at my night call, but it was a union event. So um, having said that, uh, having that experience and, like you said, great, great attorneys, uh, investigators, you know, that that had to be a great experience. Also, being able to have those resources and that experience at your fingertips. Oh, absolutely. And and not only that, but you know, you make relationships uh, in the DA's office that help you down the line. I mean, s- some of the you know the the un- the uniformed patrol officers that I knew in the early '90s are now bosses in in the police department and. That's not to say that anyone ever does anything inappropriate for you, but if you need something, you know who to call. Well, I've heard, I've heard, it, I've heard, uh, and tell me if this is a big deal. Um, uh, the impo- well, comment on it: the importance of having an experienced attorney who knows the lay of the land. Uh, you know, it, you know, if somebody gets charged and there's, it's a serious situation. Talk about that importance and and and, and understanding, you know, what the situation is and who the players are. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's there's no question. I mean, you, you gotta. It's like playing sports, right? You got to know where the soft spots are in a basketball court, so when you dribble, you don't uh, you don't yeah, lose right, the ball. Yeah, right. Sure. So, right. So it's the same thing. I mean, here in Philadelphia, every city, and I, I'm very fortunate because I practice, you know, throughout Pennsylvania and Southern Ooh. New Jersey. But the lion's share of my business is in Philadelphia. We, I, I know everybody here. Uh, you know, I, I know all the players. I know where you go, and, and and that's extremely important because you don't want your attorney fumbling around <laughs> on your kid's case. On your case, you don't want anybody learning how to do it on your dime. So, um, you know, after 
I guess what I passed the bar in '96. I was uh, I worked in the DA's office for two years before that. So how many years is that? That's uh, a lot of years um, that uh, I've been working here in, in Philadelphia. So you you get to figure out who you need to call. You know what judge is a good judge? What judge is a judge that's maybe not so favorable for you know the type of motion or case that you have? Uh, Jeff, talk about that in in in, in your area. So in personal injury, I'm sort of like Michael. I think personal injury is a cousin to, to criminal law. And, you know, I'm also like Michael. I'm, I'm born and raised in this area. I've met all the, the doctors, lawyers, so many of the judges. And just knowing everybody makes the job so much easier. Like Michael said, I, I don't know that they cut you a deal, but they, they certainly help you move forward and there's, there's mutual respect. Right, and that's and, what I was going to say. And instead of getting a rookie or getting an older person, somebody that's you know, vibrant in the middle of their career in Philadelphia, there's a big benefit to hiring people like Michael or even myself for what we do because we'll, we'll get it done faster and more efficiently than other people will. Absolutely. Let's talk about your clients. Okay, we can go both sides here. Talk about what they can expect when they retain you, Michael. Well, I, I, I tell people that I can't guarantee that I'm going to win. What I can guarantee is that they'll get the best legal representation that money can buy. Um, you know, in, in my line of work, um, it's, uh, it's difficult to know the strength or weakness of a case until you get into it. Uh, generally, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how uh, um, high profile you are, generally, if you're a criminal defendant, you're starting behind the eight ball. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, depending whether it's a media-sensitive case or, uh, you know, just a run-of-the-mill case. And the way you try those cases are completely different. So, uh, I was just, It's literally in my notes, the <laughs> difference between having a regular case and a media-sensitive case. What are the differences in the, in the pressures and, 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 and the whole scenario? Because, you, you know, you can be on the newspaper, uh, the homepage of the newspaper, we're gonna, and Jeff and I are going to, we're going to get into some of those high-profile cases that you've had. Talk about the difference in, in the dynamics of the case well you know when it, when you when you boil down any criminal case it really should be tried within the four corners of the courtroom right within the four walls of the courtroom but uh and and most cases are but uh, you know there, there's always trial tactics whether it's hey look this is a prosecutor that uh, doesn't like to be messed with so try to knock the prosecutor off uh, off his or her game or this is a judge that likes this so we need to do it that way there's always those considerations and they still exist in a high profile case that the, the 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 issue for the lawyer is in a high profile case is man it gets hot in there like when you're getting calls from Oprah and CNN and everything you do people are looking at you it becomes more difficult it, it not only becomes more difficult to maneuver the case but you know, the press, uh, and I'm not a press hater or anything like that, when the press takes a point of view, it takes a really long time to maybe change their view. And, you know, the, as a lawyer, you can't run up to the press and say, hey, you don't know that my client said X, Y, and Z, and you don't know we have this evidence and that evidence. You can't really do that. And the momentum, I mean, and you know, especially with the press in the public, I, you wonder if that ever sort of transitions to the to the jury. I mean, it has to, and... and Joe and I are big sports fans, and I remember following your case. There was a big one with Ray Rice. Ray and I Rice. Wanted, yeah, I mean, I followed that with you. We're friends, and, and, and I followed that. But I wanted to talk to you. What was that like, and how did that come about? Tell uh, our listeners who Ray Rice is and what happened. Uh, Ray Rice was a uh, running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he was accused of assaulting uh, his girlfriend at the time. 
in an Atlantic City casino. Saw the video a hundred times. Uh, you didn't we see. You it. didn't see all the video. Right. I'm no, sure I did. Right. <laughs> he saw all the videos. I saw yeah, all the videos. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a. You know, I don't. I know that if I. And there's a lot to that story that never made the public. Um, and and I know that if I uh, were to opine on this radio show what actually happened and how we were able to get the result that we that we uh that we did it would start another press cycle and i'm i'm pretty sure that uh, mr rice wouldn't uh approve of that so i'll just say generally about that case it was it was very difficult to maneuver on that case well the whole world i mean who like anybody Who's anybody? I mean, just knew you know everybody saw that it was a front page. Well, if if you remember the litany, nobody saw that uh, until that video didn't become public until later uh, after the pendency. And again, it's been a while, and I have I'd have to look at my notes. But well, initially the video wasn't made public. The video I don't think was made public until somebody leaked it to maybe it was TMZ. It was TMZ. Yeah, uh, until someone leaked it to TMZ, and that was. uh, at a later point in time, but that case was really hot because, you know, it, it was before the Me Too movement, but it was, you know, it was domestic a, violence was domestic becoming violence. bigger yeah. in sports oh, yeah. And, yeah. and in society. By the way, that w- I mean, you're in Philadelphia. That happened where? And uh, at the Revel in Atlantic uh, Atlantic City. Okay, so what's amazing about that? That that says so much about you as an attorney, because they could have gone anywhere in any direction. Okay, and you're you're obviously. Um, licensed in New Jersey, I, I, mean, I am, yeah. and, and and having a case like that, and and the result, what was the the result? He did no time. I know no, that. He, he was put into a diversionary program, uh, and uh, upon successful completion of the diversionary program, um, the case was dismissed. Oh, okay. So Michael uh, and I followed obviously the aftermath. He never played again, and he didn't. It, was that? I mean, did you stay in touch with him? Did that? Uh, assuming that his career ended, his case, what was it like? his career was almost on the way out at the time, wasn't it? Or but it, but it ended there. It, I it mean, definitely it, ended yeah. there. What, yeah, I mean, I uh, f- frankly, I didn't, I didn't know Mr. Rice before the uh, um, before the case. I mean. I bleed Eagles green, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, can't the, believe you took that case, yeah, Michael. But if the Eagles aren't playing, I'm generally not watching football. I'm doing a million other things. But um, you know, so I, I can't speak to why his career a- ended. Uh, I will say this: he he's a really nice guy. Uh, his you know now wife. It's uh, now Janae, his wife. Yeah, she's a very educated, smart, uh, nice woman. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I met both of them, and I'm glad that we were able to get a, a good result for them. And and you know, I mean, it, it was, and I, that was one of my questions. How do you you know how do you deal with the high profile cases in compared to the lower profile cases? All of them are important, as you know. I mean, it's it's, it's what you do. Talk about the um, when 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 people, and and we were talking a little sports, okay. And, and Jeff and I always talk a little sports, but um, I've had this conversation on a number of shows, sports and the law. You're a, triathlete okay doesn't get any more difficult there's only let me just say this michael. he's a glutton for punishment Ho- i like to suffer okay he likes to suffer. hold on there's only a couple of us out there michael you guys like you know me and you i mean i watch you on on tv that's what i meant but but but, but, but having said that um those intangibles i can't you know i i coached high school football for about seven years and um played sports my whole life uh, jeff and i talk about i'm it. a baseball player and a two to two, three hour a week you know four hour a week tennis player right i've, I've seen some of hours. T- i've seen you win some tennis matches <laughs> you <laughs> saw me the last weekend he's, he's, that's what we're going to say on the air for right time. right no but having said that um uh you know those intangibles talk about how they come into play 
I mean, you're, you know, in, in regards to the law, even coming down to in the courtroom performing, how, how, how has your athletic career in one of the most strenuous sports, okay, impacted your career as, as a, a top attorney? So uh, are you asking Jeff or me? Well, I'll ask you both, but I'll go, we'll go with you first. You go first, Jeff, so I can think of an answer. So I believe that sports and the law are so interrelated in, in trial law in what both of us do. You, you have to have a competitive spirit. There has to be grit and tenacity. And sports is the breeding ground for any successful career, but, but especially for what I do, and even more especially, I think, for what Michael does, because you have to really have that will to win and want to win, and not everybody necessarily wants to win. They're great players. They have great natural talent, but but a guy like me who isn't the best tennis player, he'll make fun. He watch me play. I don't have a big serve. I don't hit the ball that hard, but but I really like to win. <laughs> and I'll do anything I can. Well, a competitive nature, mental toughness, mental toughness, Six, uh, uh, discipline, not quitting, adapting to the elements. When you're in a courtroom with a, with a judge or a jury or or a client that is less than ideal or awful for both of us. Um, that's just like playing in a, in a big match or, or, or him running a triathlon. And he's also a hockey player that I'm aware of. And, really? you know, all these things lead to success, I think, in especially the law. Well, and, and, and having said that, um, you know, some of the, the, the qualities, you know, obviously not quitting, discipline, work ethic, uh, goal-oriented, uh, performing under pressure, all those types of things, leadership, um, I told uh, uh, my football coach about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, my family was going through something that was pretty – and I said, Coach, those gassers that we ran when we were kids in high school, they're coming in handy right about now. The, the touchdowns didn't, you know what I mean? I, I didn't get any accolade. You know, I don't walk in and get a get a job or, you know, uh, because you, you scored a touchdown, but the – the lessons you learn on that field and where you're at in, in, in the water, running, and on the bike. Um, those are the types of things I'm, I'm talking about. When you're in the trenches, Michael, when you, you know, maybe a day, you know, day didn't, you, you know, go as well, but you're coming back the next day uh, to fight if, uh, on another day. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I would agree with everything that Jeff said. In, in, the, in, in the sports that I play now, I, I did play hockey. I played uh, when I was younger in high school and in college and even some men's league until I guess until he got so injured and had so many surgeries that he had to, yeah, until he like, had to shut it down. Until <laughs> like 2011 or so. But uh, and, and then I started doing long-distance endurance sports. So your wife said you had to stop. Can we be real? <laughs> right, <now? right. laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I, I think like uh, at least uh, the, the, the Ironman type uh, sports that I do, like the, the long-distance running, biking, and swimming, it, it, it I don't know that – I don't know that my business relies on it, but uh, the, some of the, what I find, I guess, attractive in, in those sports is, you know, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to do an eight-hour Ironman. But the, the thing about those sports is you train and train and train, and you, you just can't quit. When it starts to hurt, you keep going. When you can't breathe, you keep going. When it's hot, you keep going. When it's cold, you keep going. And uh, that's a lot. That's like the practice of law. Like if it doesn't work this way, you do another way. If you, if this isn't working, you try another way, and you just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And another benefit of uh, of my sports is, I mean, I can spend four or five hours on a bike. I can run for three hours, and I spend a lot of time in my head. And what I do on those long bikes and long runs is I'm running cross examinations and closing uh, arguments and opening statements and objections. 
I'm running those things through my head so many times that by the time I've tried someone, by the time I walk into court, I've given that closing argument in my head 20 times. I've done the, the main cross-examination 50 times. And so anything that could possibly happen, I've already worked it through in my head. Um, so th- that's a benefit of the sports, that I think. And, and in both of your, the parallel in, in both of your practices, criminal, personal injury, uh, it, it, when it comes down to it, uh, you're, you're um, representing individuals in your case, Michael, many times, often for their their life, their freedom, and and in your case, it's money. It's money. It's money, but it's it it also could be the it quality be, of the rest of their life. It could be life altering. And one commonality between the two of us in our practices is we generally get people on their worst day. Yeah, his. Absolutely. I mean, he's getting them on a far worse day than I'm getting them. But but I got news for you. I've gotten a bunch of clients on their worst day. Absolutely or, their worst day. Or, or you're getting their families after they passed away. Yes. So I, either way, having that conversation, I can only imagine. Really just how do you keep it together? When it, <laughs> let's be real about it. You know, people, look, people you, know, they, you know, they have no idea. No idea. I'm telling everybody to keep the microphone, right? And I got it out here. Um, no idea what the, what it's like when somebody's mother calls. I'm going to throw a scenario at you, Michael. Somebody's mother calls, you know, and maybe it's a late night call, and their 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 child is accused of a a, a big time crime. Okay, and in your case, uh, Jeff, some somebody's had a catastrophic injury. I met with one last night, and it's a follow up to a, a case that you and I discussed earlier. Um, a drunk driver, 19 year old, with four kids in the car. He was drunk and hit a pole in Cheltenham, and, and one kid was killed. And I have two of them, and, and my second one was a girl, a beautiful 19-year-old blonde-haired girl, uh, went through the windshield. Mm-hmm. And she's had, I don't know, 15 surgeries. <coughs> she's in a lifetime of physical therapy. And, you know, I met with the mom, and, I'm, I'm, you know, just crying. I mean, hearing the stories and meeting with these people, it is absolutely the worst time of their life. Absolutely. So what what can your that client, that parent – um, you know, what can they expect when they dial, you know, Michael Diamondstein, uh, and, 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 and whatever happens at that point, um, you know, what do they know they're getting? Well, that's, uh, you know, you, you sort of hit it on the head. You, you addressed a couple issues. I think that are, it's one of the toughest things about what I do, uh, but what, what can a, a potential client expect? They can expect that, uh, I will be relentless in doing everything I can to get the best possible result uh, for their son, daughter, or loved one. What I can tell them is I can't guarantee I'll win, but what I can guarantee is if there's any way to win, I'm going to find it. But I, I'll say this, and I don't, I don't know what it's like being a, a PI attorney, but if you ask what the most difficult thing about my job is, yeah, it, it sucks having to run face first into the cannon, you know, all the time and do a, you know, a government that has unlimited resources. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I'll say the worst thing for me is the worst thing for me is coming home and dealing with the injustice because, you know, our system is supposed to be fair. Police officers aren't supposed to lie. Judges and prosecutors aren't supposed to be racist. (laughs) And, uh, we could do a week's worth of shows about stuff that I've seen that is patently unfair. And so coming home, uh, at the end of a day, when I know that a kid got a result that he got only because he's African American, that makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, it uh, makes, by the way, I read yeah. that on your bio. Yeah, makes me makes me sick to my stomach. Um, if you're if you're smart and you want to make some money, invest in tequila, uh, <laughs> because I've certainly drank, oh, yeah, drank, right. drank my share of it. Um, 
Michael, I, I want to, you know, I've followed you and I've been friends for years. And, you know, segueing from what you were just talking about, you had a case that is, to me, so fascinating. And I'd like you to talk about the Willie Stokes case, uh, which reminds me of Reuben Hurricane Carter. Uh, you know, the hurricane, one of my favorite movies. You actually got to live it, I think, a little bit with Willie Stokes. But tell our listeners who Willie Stokes is and, and, and what happened. So Willie was, uh, is, he's just a really good guy. He's a regular guy. Uh, he was arrested for a murder. Uh, I don't have my notes with me, but he was arrested for murder, I believe, in 19. Uh, he was tried in 84. I think he was arrested in 83. There was one witness against him. There was a couple witnesses that had seen the murder, but no one, uh, you know, no one could say that uh, Willie Stokes had done the murder. There was one witness who said that, you know, Willie Stokes like two years after the murder had in his basement while they were drinking and smoking weed had uh, admitted that he had done the murder. Wondering if that witness, by the way, had his own case and they gave him a deal. Uh, yeah, of course. So um, of course. that, that own wit that, that witness had um, indicated that Mr. Stokes had, uh, and again, I'm, I'm doing this without notes sure. and I didn't know we'd specifically talked about that, but um, that witness had been approached uh, by homicide detectives while that witness was in custody for a murder, and I think I think it was a murder, not a hundred. Yeah, well, that, that client was in custody for murder and, and a rape and some other charges. And then, uh, the, uh, uh, according to what happened in trial, uh, was that witness gave a statement inculpating um, Mr. Stokes. The witness came out at a preliminary hearing, inculpated Mr. Stokes. Then at trial, the witness came out and said, "Look, man, I made all that up because the detectives forced me to." Mr. Stokes didn't really do it, or I don't know whether he did do it or not, but he, I, I know he didn't tell me about it. The prosecutor at the time, um, you know, jumped up and down, and this is back in the day maybe when uh, defense attorneys weren't as savvy as they are now, the discovery rules weren't as, uh, as procedurally protective as they are now, and essentially, the, uh, in my opinion, the, the prosecutor just steamrolled the defense attorney, and Mr. Stokes was convicted of murder, and how old was he at the time? 23 or so. And uh, it was a death penalty case. Wow. And luckily he didn't get death. Um, and then, but here's the kicker about that case. Apparently that witness had been promised drugs and sex in exchange for the testimony. So after that witness had testified at the preliminary hearing, the homicide detectives involved in the case, uh, again, according to the witness, provided him with uh, let him see his girlfriend um, and let him uh, gave, let, gave him access to drugs. Uh, and uh, then eventually it was sex workers when the girlfriend wouldn't come anymore. And uh, what had happened was that witness's mother had found out that he was doing what he was doing because the girl who came to visit him the one time at the police station at uh, 8th and Ray said, told the mom what happened. And the mom visited him and said, I didn't raise you like that. And uh, the witness had said that if he if if he wasn't going to testify against Mr. Stokes, he was going to get you know eighty years. Well, and my question is, why is it even allowed for a detective all the all, all the crap that they gave him? Okay, you know the, the the sex, the drugs, all that's one thing. But they can walk in and cut a deal and say, well, if you cooperate, I'm going to take we're going to you know take this crime away or, or or lower this or whatever. Why are you even allowed to do it? Wasn't that business as usual in in, in big cities? You know, in years past, I would think that's that's a commonality. Yeah, so it's a little different now. So now deals are supposed to be turned over. Um, they're supposed to be, but in this particular case, it wasn't. There was a written deal, and again, the records aren't great about it because the trial record isn't great at this point in time because it was from a trial that happened in, in 1984 
But uh, there was a handwritten deal that they had with this witness uh, that had never been turned over to Mr. Stokes or his defense attorney. And um, so w- when the witness, had, you know, said all that, no, nobody believed him. They, they didn't care. But here's the killer about the Willie Stokes case. And this is the only reason why Willie, Willie won, is we were able to find that you got I, Willie was convicted again. I don't have my notes. I think it was like August 22nd of 1984 was when he was co- convicted. The witness had testified on August 21st. On August like 29th, the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office, the homicide prosecutors involved in Willie Stokes's prosecution, charged the witness who inculpated Willie Stokes for lying by inculpating Willie Stokes. And I, Willie Stokes never knew, right? No, that was they never, never brought told to him. the attention of never any told him. Right. And, and th- there's something known as a bill of information, and that's the charging document. And the bill of information actually says on it, witness, we are charging you for lying at the preliminary hearing. What's the lie? Saying Willie Stokes committed murder. Uh, what's the materiality? Willie Stokes was convicted of murder, and uh, you, the witness knew that Willie Stokes had not admitted to committing the murder, and they never told him. And even, even worse, the witness was, like, sentenced in January of, like, uh, uh, I think it was, like, January of 85, and then Willie was sentenced, like, three months later. So th- the witness was sentenced for perjury for lying about Willie Stokes before Willie was even... Even, uh, is there uh, a civil side to that? And of I course say that there is. Because, yeah, there is. There is. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I mean, to me personally, I was king of the world. Whoever lied about that and knew about it and cost that man 37 years of his life, they get the 37 years too. Welcome to the, welcome, you know, welcome, yeah, welcome to the penitentiary. I, I mean, yeah. so, Michael, I, I know that. Uh, that story to me is just fascinating, and, and it leads me to say, I, I know that you wrote a book, and I'm also interested to hear, you wrote a book called Cloaked in Doubt, and and I read it, and I know a lot of other people read it, and friends and family read it. Could Willie Stokes be the next book for you? Oh, I mean, man. has anybody ever asked you, like I've always meant to ask you, and while we're, we're on air, I'm going to put you on the spot. Cloaked in Doubt was a really, really good book, and I know that you've mentioned to me in the past that... You know, you, you might write another book, and but I know how hard it is because my wife just wrote a book. But but the Willie Stokes, uh, you know, Sex for Lies case, to me, uh, is your next book. And, and let's talk about it. So I wrote, Tell I, me about Cloaked and Doubt, and then let's oh talk man, about the so, real question. So I wrote, next book. I, wrote a, I wrote a fictional story, a completely fictional story about a prosecutor who is, uh, is uh, charged with trying uh, a, the, the mayor of Philadelphia for... Um, you know, murdering a young girl, and there's all kinds of twists and turns. And um, frankly, that book is a lot more believable than what actually happened to Willie Stokes. Right, and Willie I, Stokes was true. Right, <laughs> if I wrote a true story about what happened to Willie Stokes, and I wrote about all the prosecutors and judges who ignored him, who ignored his claims, uh, I'd make a lot of enemies, and uh, no one would believe it. And Jeff, you know, when you think about it, okay, and you're right, it'd be a fascinating book. Um, you know, to me, and it's just you know, you know, the corruption and and the um, the, the the lack of ethics. I mean, the fact that people care more about winning than seeking justice. You know, I'm talking about specific people on the law enforcement side. Okay, it happens in the civil side on my side. I mean, obviously, the ramifications for Michael and his clients are more significant and severe incarceration. But at my level. Uh, people people get screwed. They, they really do. I mean, they go out of their way to win a case for a little old lady who's been hit by a bus who's crossing the street. They'll do everything in their power to not pay the little old lady 
where there's two witnesses and they'll they'll they'll, they'll, they'll just they go after her and and they try to ruin her life. Well, what's no interesting? Reason, so in you, the spirit of winning and the David versus Goliath uh, kind of analogy applies in both your cases, Michael. Uh, and and I want a little little station ID because we're blowing through the break. Um, uh, you're listening to Legal Talk with Jeff Nirenberg. Jeff's guest is Michael Diamondstein, acclaimed uh, criminal attorney, city of Philadelphia, uh, licensed in Jersey and in, 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 in PA. Um, but having said that, you're dealing with the government. Unlimited resources. Unlimited. Okay. And, and hey, you're, hey, you're dealing with insurance, farm insurance company. company. Right. Unlimited resources. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Same but thing. The, and, they, and they got the Rogers rate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but having said that, um, you know, it's it's David versus Goliath in both you know, I'll tell you, I'm going to, uh, you know, and I love what you were talking about with the book. Um, but one one of the things that um, when, 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 when I think about uh, these, you know what I think? Okay, this might be the dumbest thing ever. But I think, it, I mean, criminal justice reform and all that. I announced, so, so, so uh, two weeks, about a month ago uh, on my labor show, I, you know, so um, the, who's the city council person that's, uh, uh, that just went to trial. It was a hung jury, okay? Uh, and and uh, I, I pled on air just to, you know, to say, you know, please don't retry him. Why? I don't think the government should be able to retrial somebody in a hung jury unless they pay for it. You want to pay? You get, okay, because really what they're doing is they're bankrupting somebody. See, in your area, Jeff Nirenberg, it's a contingency fee, okay? Right. And so, you know, they, they get great attorneys like yourself where – where they have to, uh, you know, where they get the opportunity to, because of the structure, that to, to deal with a great legal representation and, and, and they can win and be successful. In your area, Michael, there's no insurance for a, a crime. So if it's a criminal case, it's they have to pay. They end up bankroll, you know, bankrupting somebody because they want to retry them, okay, Listen. Let the government pay for it. You want to? Okay. Don't, don't. Don't. They maybe they might have to. Maybe they may think twice. Right. But there's so much of that reform stuff. And thank God they get the opportunity. Otherwise, they don't get an attorney like yourself. They got to go to the public defenders. And we all know that there's some good public defenders, but they're overloaded like there's no tomorrow. And they can't, you know, spend the time that somebody like yourself can spend in to actually win the case. So it's just a little. <laughs> I, I, you know, was thinking. You know, thinking about it and. When I think about the difference in, 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 you know, what the government often, often will do just to win. Yeah, and, and if you think it's difficult to win a case when you're charged by a local entity, when you're charged by the feds, I mean, those guys, they have access to everything. And the rules of criminal procedure federally are absolutely an abomination. It's like trying to run a race where uh, your uh, opponent gets to run downhill and you got to run up, uphill. So uh, yeah, you're 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 100 right. That's definitely something that uh, defendants get the short end of the stick on. No question about it. So Michael, uh, to me, this book, this new book, this Willie Stokes book that you're going <laughs> to use for your retirement. Right, right, I mean, right. But but let's talk about art imitating life. You you write a book called Cloaked in Doubt, and it's about you know a DA and corruption in Philadelphia. And then I I know in your bio, and I followed it again because we're friends. You represented Seth Williams, an actual DA. Uh, speak about that and, and talk about uh, how, you know, that comes full circle for you, uh, you know, representing a, a former disgraced DA after writing a book sort of like that years past. Yes, so um, I like Seth. Seth's a good guy and still a, still a friend of mine. I, I represented him initially, but uh, ultimately 
uh, I wasn't he, he wasn't in a position to be able to retain you know my office so uh, uh, a guy by the name of Tom Burke who's a really good attorney and also a really good friend of mine ultimately um, uh, represented him I uh, again I, I'm a big fan of Seth and if you ask me without this microphone and without broadcasting to you know millions of people I'll tell you what I think about this case I'll tell you what I think about uh, how the case was prosecuted uh, the venue uh, upon, uh, you know, wh- where Mr. Uh, Williams was tried. Was it all about winning again? Was it all just what we've been talking about? I have to practice in Philadelphia with some of the people that were involved in that case. So I will only say that I like Mr. Williams, and uh, I, I know he's doing very, very well now, and uh, I still consider him a friend. Yeah, um, and... and uh it's, you know, I've heard the same thing about the, the, the federal situation and how difficult it can be. Do you do federal and local? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do federal cases. You know, it generally speaking, it, it's more difficult to handle local cases out, out of your jurisdiction. So, like, it'd be difficult, not impossible for me to try a case in Alabama. I don't know the Alabama rules of criminal procedure. I could do it for a big enough case. But the federal rules of criminal procedure are the same throughout the United States. So I've handled federal cases and. Middle District of Pennsylvania, Eastern District of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Tennessee, Missouri, New York, uh, uh, Virginia. I mean, all, all over the place. Uh, so um, I, I practice federally throughout the U.S. And uh, the laws and, and the procedures you mentioned can be, uh, well, I, let's just say this, 98, what's it, 98 to 99%, something, 97%, um, the government wins 97, 90%. Okay, so I do the labor show on. Uh, you know, Those aren't good odds if you're going no. to the casino. No, and and the, the, listen, the feds. And again, I got to practice here, so I'll choose my words judiciously. The feds win a very high percentage of the case, uh, a very high percentage of the time. I'll say this: we win, we do win down there. And uh, I just had uh, uh, some success on a on a federal case uh, in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania that uh, uh, derived out of Europe. Um, the case is kind of still pending, so I can't be more specific about it but I, I will say this it is unfair the federal rules of criminal procedure are unfair um it is very very difficult to win and you you mentioned labor you know there's a case recently where you know a labor a labor individual was tried and i thought the law was on his side and it's very very difficult to win although people have some success how long ago uh I mean, the verdict was just a couple of weeks. And not he's, he's my co-host. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have any specific knowledge about his case other than, you know, I, I know people and I, 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 I hear things. Uh, based on what I heard, uh, the law was on his side. But, yeah, uh, I heard, yeah, heard the same thing. Law was on his side. So it's tough to win. But, you know, the appellate courts in the federal, you know, it's funny. The appellate courts in the federal system, in my opinion, uh, s- sometimes uh, will will correct those mistakes. Again, I, I don't want to comment on pending course, litigation. Of course. But yeah, yeah. Having said that, you know, you know, even one of the things that confuses me about the federal is, is even the, the, the jury of your peers. I wonder sometimes if it's really a jury of your peers. They're calling people, first of all, we're, uh, you know, um, the case that we're talking about, and we'll go one named here, but the fact of the matter is, is that the, that the, that the jury was from all over the place. Yeah, okay. you know, if, if you're, you know, again, I practice everywhere. So I, I do, I just did a jury trial in, uh, uh, in Monroe County. Great judge, very fair prosecutor. My client allegedly committed a crime in Monroe County. He had Monroe County jurors there. We tried it to Monroe County jurors, and they found my client not guilty. 
you do a federal case in Philadelphia, you'll be lucky to get one Philadelphia juror, juror yeah, on the yeah, case. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and so Completely that's like, different ball game. Yeah. So much, so much more yeah. difficult. Jeff, in your area, talk about, you know, picking, the, picking a jury and, and that process, because I'm sure it's, it's vital to, um, you know, a case, especially now, like during the pandemic, things are coming back. But the fact that, uh, you know, it was impossible to pick a jury, you know, f- for the last couple of years because of the because of the um, pandemic. Um, but you would, you know, look at the, the difference between doing a, dr- a, a judge trial or a, a jury trial. Talk about that and, and, and what you'd prefer and, and the process of, uh, of picking a jury and the importance of a jury of your peers. So a jury of your peers is, is really the whole basis of our of our system. And it's something that is so technical and so it's, it's haphazard in a way, sort of a jury picks itself. You don't really, yeah, you do try to get rid of people or try to keep people, but it doesn't always work out that way. Um, In our situation in civil, it gets more difficult as you move out into the counties to hear Michael go out to a county and and win a big criminal trial is great. Uh, Winning some of these civil trials in let's say in Lehigh or in Berks County or even or Bucks County is a great example. Yeah. Uh, they do not take kindly to out-of-towners. They want people that practice in their bar. There's a lot of bias. And coming in as a Philadelphia attorney to, to many of, of our surrounding counties, which aren't really far away from here, and we may even live in these jurisdictions, but, but winning bigger cases in some of the counties is, is like, like a federal case for Michael. Very, very difficult. And they're just very skeptical of outsiders and the judges treat you differently and the jurors treat you differently and and that's why philadelphia is a better place though philadelphia is even getting more difficult well the bottom line also is now you're able to you know i've heard these uh i don't know how criminal law is but i heard so we did a show one time where the attorney was saying you know we're we're not you know the jury was not in person it was on a zoom and and they were doing closing arguments and one of the Zoom for the jurors went out. They actually, imagine, I can only imagine, um, you know, like doing closing arguments, you're on a roll. Things are going great. You look down and there's a dark space on that Zoom. They had to make a decision to actually keep going. I think it was a personal injury case. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, I've heard, this, you know, the, Philadelphia obviously is an area where people prefer, you know, to try cases rather in other areas, and I know that 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 is important. But just the just the process of, of, of the jury of your peers and and a real jury of your peers. I think that's a fallacy. I mean, it's just something. It, it, it's we, we we strive for that, but I think Michael can speak more to that. That's what he does every day. Uh, I don't think that's really the case. What do you? How would you comment, Michael? Uh, you know. It, it, I think it's difficult to to speak in generalities about that. Yeah, sure, there's sometimes you walk into a courtroom and, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's more race-related. I don't, I don't really understand the civil genre, uh, genre as, as much, but, you know, you walk in wi- and I'm sitting next to an African-American male from North Philadelphia right. and I got a room of 40, uh, you know, white elderly people, white right. people from the Northeast and Mayfair and, you know, <laughs> right. and far South Philly, like... You know, I, I, you know, sometimes that can be difficult. And that's not to say that everything is race-related, and that's not to say that you can't get a fair trial, um, you know, if, if uh, you know, some people are white and your client's black. I'm not saying that. But, you know, if, uh, 
if the if it's two versions of a story and one is the police officer's version and the other version is a number of African American, <coughs> so there there is statistics probably say what you know. I guess and when you're uh, when you're when you're screening that you know who'd be more favorable. Yeah, there's 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 something to be said that having a room where you know there's some. Uh, dark-skinned people, some light-skinned people, some, uh, you know, uh, brown people, some Asian people. When you have a bigger mix, it's, uh, I think, a lot easier to get a fair trial. But uh, it's uh, not often. uh, It's not a perfect science, right? Michael, uh, recently, obviously, we've gone through in Philadelphia, there's been a lot of uptick in crime in the city. And then then the South Street. uh, Gun violence. uh, Gun violence happens on Saturday night. Talk to us about what you've seen in your practice the last two years during the pandemic, ending with this weekend's uh, sort of, you know, they're calling it a mass shooting mass on shooting. South Street. And, and a lot of my friends and family from out of town have been texting and calling. And, you know, what's going on in Philadelphia? It's a state of lawlessness. There are riots. They, they saw all that went on. Particularly now that it's on South Street. Not, it's not, this is not just in the neighborhood. Right. So, so how has that affected you? And what are your feelings about what's going on in our city? So I guess you're asking me two different questions. And if I'm going to get into trouble on the radio, I imagine you just asked me the question that's going to get it done. So uh, I will tell you business-wise, um, I've never been busier. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm at that age uh, and my practice has been successful for so long that I'm one of the go-to guys. I don't know if that's the reason. But starting maybe in uh, end of April or May of the pandemic year, we started really humming along. Um, yeah. Very, very busy. If you ask me my opinion uh, of the city, I agree with you. Uh, I think the city is in a terrible place right now. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I was born in the city. Uh, and uh, I, I've lived here for a number of years. I was raised in South Jersey, but I've, I've lived here for a number of years. I moved out with my family uh, a couple years ago, but I was one of those guys, right? You come into the weekend, you go out to dinner, you send your kids here. I come into work, and then I go home, right? and I wouldn't come back here afterwards. Why? Because it's dangerous, and it's dirty, and it's unsafe, and I'm not the only person that feels that way. And look, nobody voted for me. I'm not the mayor. I'm not the DA, but the city is dangerous right now. And I have my opinions on why that is. I have my opinions on what's to blame for that. But uh, And I completely yeah. agree. I'm, I'm similar to you. I love the city. I've supported the city. I'm from Abington and grew up in the suburbs, but I make my office in the city, and I've always come to ball games and restaurants. But now uh, – People, I'm out. You know, at 5.30, 6, 6.30, I'm out, I'm out of the city. And I'm not coming back that often unless there's some compelling reason. It, there's definitely been a change, and I see a lot of friends and family exiting the city who had been living here for years. Uh, my building's at 15th and JFK. Uh, you know, it's a nice area. I mean, it's not Rittenhouse Square. It's not Society Hill, but it's a nice area. It's in the middle, uh, middle of where you need to be. I was in the building for 20 years. Yeah, I can't <laughs> tell you the number of times I walk out of my building and there's someone taking a dump right out in the street. Uh, I I mean, and, you know, there's something to be said for, and again, I'm a defense attorney, so I'm not into excessive punishments. I'm not into, uh, you know, uh, warehousing people. But when lawlessness has been okayed, it breeds more lawlessness. So I I routinely walk out. There's people urinating and defecating out in front of my office. I walk across the municipal plaza to my parking lot. 
Um, I love it when the skateboarders are there because when the skateboarders are there, I know it's going to be safe because there's people there. When the skateboarders aren't there, there's people shooting heroin at the southwest corner of Broad and R Street. I walk across the street, there's someone on all fours throwing up. It's like you're in a Batman movie. Well, and to me, in a, in a lot of sense— We've it, become Gotham. Yeah. Well, well, but, but also, I, I think it's a, a lack of leadership. Um, and I've, we've said it on plenty of shows, <clears throat> you know, look— I don't think anybody's going to be saying defund the police. Well, I just did John McNesby the other night, right? They're not saying defund the police anymore. They're not. I like John. He's a funny guy. Right. But the point is... A thousand, there were a thousand short on, on police in the city. They're not, they're not, there's not a, now don't get me wrong. We're not, we all seen there's good people and bad people across the board. We've seen the Derek Chavez is in uh, out of world way too many times. It just seems like our city it, it has been stuck in the mud the last two years, but I, I don't see it going in the right direction. Well, I just see it yeah. descending further and deeper into the mud. Right. And the fact of the matter is, and, 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 and but there's two problems. There's, there's, uh, there's civil rights issues, of course, and there's, you know, a individual, you know, the criminal justice system has issues on both sides, the gun violence and all those things. And kids, by the way, you know, you're dealing with kids who are, this is not just a drug issue. This is not just a gang issue. They're fighting over girls on Facebook and, and using ghost guns on the street um, and, and, and shooting one another instead of fighting one another. Michael, speak to the gun uh, dilemma in, in obviously the country, but in our city, has there been an uptick in your practice with gun cases? Yes. I mean, is it is it more prevalent now? Is it? I mean, how would you? Yes, but there's you know there's a real mix though, right? Because look, obviously, I represent people who are accused of you know murders and shootings and carrying guns, right? There, there's no question about it. Is and and everyone uh, that I represent, I do everything I can to win their case within the bounds of the law, and we're successful much of the time. But you know, the problem with the uptick in violence is it breeds violence, right? So you have a segment of pe- of the population that's carrying guns. Uh, uh, for no good purpose, right? And a segment of the population that are using their guns, to, whether it's to deal drugs or get, uh, you know, take a grudge or what have you. But because there is such an uptick in violence, you have another segment of the population who's carrying a gun, not because they don't want any trouble, they're not dealing drugs, but right. they're carrying a gun because they, they, they want to protect themselves. Right. Now, and if that person is a, is a otherwise law-abiding citizen that has a job, but maybe a couple years ago got convicted of something and they can't legally get a permit to carry, what's their choice? Die or take a chance of carrying a gun without a license. I've seen a ton of those cases. I had a case with a kid, a young kid, no criminal record. He had been arrested for a DUI. The DUI was dismissed. He applied during COVID for a permit to carry a gun, right? They denied it because of the DUI. It was dismissed. So he carried the gun anyway, got caught by police officers who... um, completely made up a story about what happened. We had the body cam, and the the judge who heard the case ultimately decided that the police officers were incredible and the case was dismissed. But but for him having a lawyer that knew what to do, you got a kid with no record that would have got a conviction for carrying a firearm. And he was only carrying a firearm because he was a, afraid of a dangerous community, and he had been wrongly denied a permit to carry a firearm. We so, got, so we got about seven minutes left. By the way, I'm all... I'm, I'm, only half joking when I say I'm all for going a whole nother hour, but I'm just saying <laughs> this. This is. But having said that, your practice. Um, talk about the types of criminal law that you represent, straight down to if anybody obviously um, is, is seeking representation. Yeah, we, we at my, my firm, like I said, it's me, and I have lawyers that work for me. Um, 
we handle criminal cases, uh, everything from like white, white collar cases, although I don't do a ton of white collar cases. We do some uh, to shootings, murders, DUIs, aggravated assaults. Uh, I represent college kids. Oh, I could tell you, I could do an hour about that. College kids falsely accused of, uh, of crimes, whether it's, uh, you know, um, date rape type cases or, you know, uh, allegations of drugs and on, on campus and, uh, things like that. Uh, we, we, we really run the gamut when it comes to criminal cases. Does it, does it, su- it, nothing surprises you, and I know, Jeff, um, in, in your world, uh, you're dealing with individuals that just care about when. It's why so many people on the defense side have said, you know, look, it wasn't for me. I decided, you know, like in other words, so I, the, an old lady gets hit by a bus, and we're not, you know, I, I want to represent the per, you know, the person who got hit because there was clearly a negligent party. In your world, um, Michael, uh, if, if the, these, these uh, you know, when it all cost Types, no. it's statistics. I'm no. not talking about you. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about. You know, and we, like I said, we have some good, uh, some good district attorneys. We have some good. But Joe, isn't that our culture now? Isn't that our culture? No, no I got the it. Politics. No, I got when it. When it all costs. Uh, no question. But also, that police. Some some police that are all like that. That that guy who spent 37 years in damn jail. Let me say this. That was a win at all costs. You know, they had yeah. evidence. Yeah. Right. What what you know, having seen that, and and I guess nothing in in many cases. Um, surprises you, but like you said on your website, injustice infuriates you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I, let me say that I think that I think that Philadelphia has gotten better um, in in many respects when it comes to the win at all cost. And I don't want to say, I don't want you to say that I don't want to be you know quoted saying that every police officer is bad. Oh There's no, absolutely. Yet. Then yeah. I didn't mean that. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, the individuals. Same, same thing with prosecutors. Same thing with judges. I think for the most part, our bench is pretty decent. Uh, I think most of our are hardworking, uh, fair-minded people that try to do the right thing. But you're going to get There's your exceptions. bad eggs. I will say this: I agree with I agree with Jeff. And you go outside of Philadelphia, and I'm not going to name names because I got to practice there. And it's gotten better in some counties, but there's some places you go you go to, you and I shot. don't know who they hate more: my black defender or the Jew attorney representing them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So and, and yeah, there's them. some places like that. Right. Um, but so it's still there. It, you know, we we try to do better, um, and uh, we're always fighting for people. But uh, it, it, it is not a level playing field, and it is not fair, at least in the criminal world. You ever get in a situation where evidence was brought in and the prosecutor or the police were, 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 were you know, cordial and said, you know what, we were wrong? Yeah, sure. That happens? Sure. I mean, I, I will say one thing about Krasner. You know, he, he does, uh, Mr. Krasner, and I, I knew Larry before he was a, before the DA. That's one thing he makes very clear about his prosecutors is they do not want to use tainted evidence. They don't want to put up lying cops. I give uh, Mr. Krasner and his office uh, significant props about that. I don't know about, and again, I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's any prosecutor that would ever walk in and say that uh, we use tainted evidence. I don't think anyone would ever admit to that. But I think that there are some individual prosecutors. I think there are some jurisdictions where maybe people look the other way a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, um, we got literally uh, only a couple minutes left. If if you would, Michael, anything before we before we roll, Jeff? No. Let's let's uh, cover. Let's cover. Mike, uh, if you would, contact information for you and, and the practice. Oh, uh, my, my name is Michael Diamondstein. Uh, you, I mean, you Google Michael Diamondstein, you'll find a couple hundred newspaper articles about me. Um, you can find me there. My office telephone number is 215-940-2700. And the, and the website? Um, oh, it's um, www.michaeldiamondstein.com. Yep. 
I, I, I was going to say, I got that too. <laughs> yeah, I was just on the website. Very impressive. Uh, our host, Jeff Nirenberg, uh, contact information. Jeffrey Nirenberg at Nirenberg Law Associates. Uh, I'm at 215-569-9100, phillypilaw.com. I've been also doing this for like 29 years, all types of accidents. Uh, any, any, any way you're hurt, I can help you, and uh, I, I appreciate it. This has been this has been great. It has been. Man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Oh, it's 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 been eye opening, but also really cool. And um, it's great to have uh, attorneys like yourself out there represent, representing people who otherwise could never represent themselves. And that's the same with you, Jeff Nirenberg. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Legal Talk with Jeff Nirenberg. We want to thank Michael Diamondstein, Jeff's guest for the broadcast. Uh, on behalf of Jeff Nirenberg and, and Michael Diamondstein, I'm Joe Doherty. Thanks for listening. Suffering a personal injury due to the negligence of another, whether it be from a motor vehicle accident, an Uber or Lyft accident, a slip and fall accident, a workplace accident or other can be a devastating, even life-altering experience. Jeffrey Nuremberg of Nuremberg Law Associates understands how an injury can turn your life upside down. That's why he represents his clients with the utmost care and passion. At Nuremberg Law Associates, you get the representation and resources you you need to win and the personal touch and results you deserve. Contact Jeff Nuremberg of Nuremberg Law Associates at 215-569-9100 or online at phillypilaw.com and get the recovery and justice you deserve.